Welcome to Narratives of Asia. A podcast where students of all backgrounds are invited to talk about all things Asia. This podcast is by Asiatic Affairs Society from University College London, or UCL, which looks to create open and constructive conversations on geopolitics, business, technology, environment, culture, history, and more happening in Asia. Hello everyone, I am Karine, and I will be your main host for Narratives of Asia. I am a second-year European Social and Political Studies student, and I'm from Singapore. Today, I am joined with my co-host for this episode, Jiaxing, a second-year anthropology student from Malaysia who studied in Singapore. Our topic for this episode is education in Singapore. Children's Day is just around the corner in Singapore, and Freshers' Week at UCL has already started. So both of us thought it would be fun and insightful to look back on our education journeys and see what led us here. So Jiaxing, what do you remember from your schooling days? You know, you introduced me as a Malaysian who studied in Singapore, right? And I did. For people who are not from here, I guess the image that most people would imagine hearing this is that my parents were traveling for business and then um, I was leaving and I was leaving in attending school in Singapore. But actually, that's not the case. The twist here is, I wasn't living in Singapore. I was traveling from Malaysia across borders to get to school every single day from when I was seven up till I was 14. This is a very integral part of my schooling days when I was younger, just because I know that I don't have a lot of classmates who do the same thing as I do. Because when you travel from Malaysia, you have to wake up earlier than your peers. You have to spend a much longer time traveling to get to get back home and it will reach home later than everyone else basically yeah that's what my childhood mostly looked like actually um a lot of traveling and then as we've in singapore and lots of studying as well did you find it hard to balance that traveling time with studying as well um actually it was it was fine during primary school because i mean the workload really isn't that much in primary school if we are really honest um i thankfully moved over to singapore when i was in secondary two but during secondary one, that was when it was really difficult. Let's not forget that, you know, from primary school to secondary school, there is a jump in the kind of content that you learn, right? In primary school, it's the four basic subjects. And then in secondary school, that's when you're first introduced to humanity subjects like literature, social studies, history, and geography, you know? Yeah, so it was, it was I remember it being especially hard during the examination period because, like I said, I spent so much time traveling back home. I had less time to revise and, and I have to wake up earlier than everyone else. Yeah, so it was really tough because exams, all the papers tend to be scheduled within a one to two weeks period back to back. So you really have very, very little time to revise in between. Yeah. Do you think you could have done this, Karen? Like I did. I didn't stay as far away as Malaysia from <laughs> Singapore. But I definitely didn't stay around the vicinity of my primary school. Mm-hmm. I, uh, even, I think it was even worse for my secondary school, which was in the West and I stay in the East. Mm. So that's like, um, for driving, I think it's like half an hour. But if it's by public transport, it's about an hour. So I definitely did have to wake up early and everything. Mm-hmm. But more than that, I think in the school day itself, there was a lot of 
workload to do, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was in class or whether the, it was a homework that you had to bring back. So there was definitely a lot of studying, a lot mm-hmm. of doing homework, and and you ha- really have to be accountable for your homework and be responsible for it mm-hmm. because the teachers will definitely do a lot of checking up on how much your homework has been done and how well you progress in class as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can definitely relate to to the idea of being self-disciplined just because I know that I have less time compared to my peers and I really don't have a choice. With this amount of time that I have, I just have to make sure that I make every every second count, right? And um, you know, the point is that my parents sent me over to Singapore because they wanted me to receive an English education and a better education. So this kind of, that's a lot of planning on my parents' part right from when I was in primary school. And, you know, most people would think that, oh, perhaps they are also very, um, they also necessarily expect good grades from me just because, you know, they make all the effort to send me over to Singapore. But, you know, to answer my own question, <laughs> My parents really never explicitly demanded good grades from me, actually. Um, they never really asked how, how I was doing with my studies, and neither do I ask them for help in my studies, actually. Um, and I think I can only safely claim that my parents wish for me to do well academically rather than expect that I must score well. But the thing is, I do remember a very stressful period when I was in secondary two, I remember having so much expectations on myself that I was breaking down. I was crying myself to sleep on certain nights. It was it's really funny thinking thinking back now because because I have survived much crazier workloads as compared to secondary two. Um, but yeah, it that that the period of breaking down came from came from all the self expectations I had of myself to do well, and it's really quite strange because. Like, I kind of just internalized this external pressure to do well. And the question is, why do I even think that I have to do well, right? What, what about your parents, Karen? I think my parents are very similar in the sense that they wouldn't force me to do work or they, or they wouldn't, like, constantly scold me or mm-hmm. criticize me for not having good grades. But it's more of the, their internal wish of them wanting me to get good grades so that I can do better in life mm-hmm. and so it was a wish on their part for me to do better and also um, for them I think they didn't want to stress me out too much as well mm. I think they knew that if I get stressed out then I, I would get pressured and I wouldn't be able to think properly and everything but they would definitely get worried if my grades started slipping mm. actually it's not an if when my grades started coming. <laughs> it's so true though, actually. Yeah. Mm. So they would get worried and then they would ask, like, um, is everything okay? Do you need more help? And mm. things like that. And it's a bit different from the usual so-called like tiger parenting that we hear in a lot of Asian countries. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm. But one thing that you talked about was the self-imposed expectations, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty big, issue for a lot of Singaporean kids mm-hmm. and maybe in Asia as well where we just think that oh I have to do better um, everyone's expecting more of me so I expect more for myself too mm-hmm. then I don't want to disappoint other people and I don't want to disappoint myself also mm-hmm. especially if you think that you can do better than you are doing right now mm, yeah oh yeah. I feel that yeah so I definitely think expectations from parents is one thing but expectations on yourself is also a very crucial part Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I, I can't imagine how it must be like for those people who have parents who keep expecting so much of them mm. and criticize them all the time and also have that same expectations on themselves. Like, oh. And I definitely think that, that what matters in their education is how much of the teaching style matters too mm. and, and whether that kind of teaching style matches to your own personality as well. Mm. So I think that matters a lot in terms of how much stress you have and how much interest you have in the studying as well. Yeah, what do you, what do you think about the teaching style that you had in your schools? Um, you know, you mentioned that some parents can be really controlling and demanding of how well their children do academically, right? Um, I think that this, this just points towards an importance being placed on outstanding grades. And I think this emphasis is also kind of manifest in the teaching and learning model that we went through. Or at least I went through with the O-Levels route, which is an equivalent of GCSE. The, the model that I went through is structured to help you score as many points as you can. There was a lot of spoon feeding every lesson. There is memorizing and regurgitating whatever you remember during exams. And this is really especially so during my O-Levels. Um, yeah, there was really memorization involved in every single subject that I was taking. Um, maybe even languages. I would say, actually, because like you would try to remember the points <laughs> that you can write in your essays. And, um, you know, what I've described involves a lot of memorizing and regurgitating. And I'm just wondering if you resonate with this, Karen? I think in primary school, it was definitely a lot of um, memorizing and a lot of rote learning. Mm. And our primary school is from age 7 to 12. Mm. So I think in that period of time, definitely, it was a lot of spoon-feeding of information and then from there, having to answer the questions. But afterwards, I think in secondary school, so that's from 13 years old to 16 years old, it's lesser, slightly lesser of that memorization, but more of how you use that information to answer the question. Mm. So it's a lot more of uh, your own intuitive thinking and your own critical thinking that matters, especially in secondary school, where you have a lot more essays to write, especially for um, art subjects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds really different from what I remember in my secondary school days. It, it sounds like there was really a lot of opportunity for you to take charge of your own learning instead of being told that, oh, this is what you have to learn. This is what you should write in your exam. And I'm just wondering if you have any any examples that you can raise of like a particular, any any kind of assignment or group project that, that you remember even to this day that, you know, really helps you with your learning for, for me, I went through the integrated program route after um, primary school. Mm. So that means that um, contrary to Jiaxing's O-level route, which is a four-year program in secondary school before you take the national O-level examinations, for me, it was it's a straight six-year track to take A-levels at the end of that six years. Mm. So in secondary school, which is from age 13 to 16, for me, the most memorable lessons I had were um, like a philosophy class that we had to take, mm. which I think did definitely cultivate a lot of critical thinking and a lot of um, reflecting on ourselves. And that kind of critical training did help a lot in terms of writing argumentative essays, uh, which helps in the future as well. But there were also um, group projects that focus a lot on our teamwork and also same thing the critical thinking portion so I had a group assignment on what do you think a good school is in your mind 
and we were supposed to create a good school and we planned like what classes they would have, what kind of school motto they would have, um, the vision of the school and what kind of classes that the students could take. For example, I think some of the students included things like more holistic kind of learning where you have like um, specifically more philosophy classes because I think we felt that the philosophy classes really helped a lot and more drama classes, more more performing arts kind of classes that would help to develop that side of things. Mm-hmm. But basically things that would, that in our head made up a good score. So I think these things definitely helped in terms of building our presentation skills and building our public speaking skills. And also independent thinking. Yeah, and a, and a lot of independent thinking as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely think that going through the IP route um, made me more be able to think more critically mm-hmm. and less on the road learning and memorization kind mm. of teaching style yeah mm-hmm. yeah that sounds literally the opposite of what I what I had to do in secondary school yeah because I mean in in, in my school it was just because we were taking our O levels which were de- determined the junior college that we would go into um, or rather, not just junior college, but also polytechnic or, or ITEs, it's, it's very important that, that you get as high of a score as possible during your O-levels so that you can you can go for the for what is considered more prestigious, that is junior college. Whereas for you, you can your school really allowed you the opportunity to... It, 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 helps, you, it helps you to develop your own independent thinking and... Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's really really nice you know with every student um if you have been a student you would have performed poorly during one exam at least one exam in your life right i have definitely experienced that and i think you do too Karine. yes definitely <laughs> there's mm-hmm. so many times where especially for math and science topics where i got really really bad grades mm-hmm. and i think Everyone can relate to this. Before you get your results back, it's just this sinking feeling mm. that you know you've like done badly. And you look at your teacher who's giving you the results and she looks at you with that face and you just know that something went wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I definitely think that for us as students, we look at failure very seriously. Mm-hmm. To the extent that it may be like a life and death thing, at that mm. point of time mm. but now when you look back at it you're like why did I take it so seriously like that fail like that didn't really you know matter doesn't really matter now but I think at that point definitely when I got bad grades I felt like I was disappointing myself I was disappointing the teachers and mm-hmm. I didn't understand why I was getting such bad grades mm-hmm. and I think a few things do matter when you get these poor grades uh, and how you deal with it like the first thing would definitely be from the teachers themselves how they look at you getting the bad grades and then maybe secondly your parents and then also your peers Mm. because I think we tend to compare a lot among a class when like between grades and you ask the person next to you how how much did you get (laughs) and then you feel really (laughs) bad for saying out yours so you ask the other person first then you'd be like how much did you get (laughs) and then and then as the other person will tell you and if that person's grades are higher than yours then you just be like uh, I gotta do something else now <laughs> you just like kind of escape the conversation oh my god do you actually do that though? like uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> oh my god 
Mm -hmm. And I think like um, what what you described is actually because um, you know at least in school students they can only define success by a very um narrow metric, right? Which is the grades that you get, and that's that's problematic in itself. And you know, for me, I mentioned briefly in um during the beginning of this podcast that I there was a very stressful period for me during secondary two. And the reason was that it was actually my streaming year. So, um, you know, secondary school, um, if you take the O-level route, it is a four-year track. And in the initial two years, it is basically, um, I guess, like a foundational learning of all the of all the um, subjects. And then um, during the last two years, when you're in secondary three and four, that's, that's when you really start to prepare for your O-levels. So during secondary two, you have, that's when you choose what you do during what subjects you take for your O levels, um, and during then I knew that I wanted to take triple science, that is biology, chemistry, and physics. It was a very important year in my opinion. the The strange thing is I actually ended up doing well for that year, but I got stressed out because I was afraid of the prospect of poor grades. It's yeah, it's 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 just really funny thinking thinking back about that now, but. That's just that's that's just a reality for students here in Singapore. Some of us who really define grades like their life. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think similar to you, uh, my secondary two year was also a year where you could decide what you wanted to do in secondary three and four. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for me, I knew for myself that I didn't like physics mm-hmm. because, as I said, my math and science just. It just can't make it. So I ended up taking biology, chem, history, mm. and advanced literature because I really, really liked the humanities. And, and it worked well for me in terms of the fact that I got good grades for advanced literature. I can't say the rest for the math and the science part, but <laughs> for the subjects that I had a passion and an interest for, I definitely scored better in those areas. Mm. So I think... It also was because of the teachers that helped me along mm. the way. My uh, language arts teacher and my advanced literature teachers were all extremely passionate about what they were teaching. Mm. And they could impart that kind of passion to us as students. Mm. So it made us want to learn the subject more and want to do more f- like in terms of work for that subject. Mm. So I definitely think that teachers in the education system carry a very heavy weight in terms of having to impart knowledge but also to motivate students at the same time mm-hmm. yeah i cannot i cannot agree with you more on this teachers really do play such an important role if you don't like the teacher it's just gonna be hard to listen to what they are talking about you just tune out anyways and you know um you described that um your teachers were very helpful and in my school I was, I think I was really lucky to be in a good secondary school. The teachers there were really, really supportive of their students. Um, you know, outside of um, class, I could always reach out to them if I have um, certain struggles with a certain topic. Yeah, in my, in my memory, most of my teachers were really nice and I, I, can, I can always reach out to them for whatever help I needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I can't say the same for one of my primary school teachers. <laughs> <laughs> my oh, it was so bad. Like she, I got, I just got my math grades back, mm-hmm. and they were 
so bad that I started crying. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of Singaporean mentality where if you get bad grades for like one exam, you just think it's the end of the world and mm-hmm. everything's going to fail, everything's going to die around you. Mm-hmm. And then I was crying and then she came up to me and then she asked, this was my science teacher, and she asked, oh, why are you crying? And I told her, oh, it's because I got really bad grades for math. And then she told me, Oh, do you want to know your science grades too so you can cry together? <laughs> oh, oh, and it broke my little 12 year old heart. Like, it was so sad. But I still told her, Yeah, I want to know my grades. And she told me, and I started crying even more. So, oh. it really, I think it really does matter. Like, the kind of teachers that you get, it matters on how much you love the subject too. Because mm-hmm. as much as you don't do well in the subject, mm-hmm. if you go to class feeling happy, I think ultimately you still want to learn more. Mm. Well, the you know this talk on having good grades has appeared many many times since we started this podcast, right? And mm-hmm. I think it's really not not a surprise that here in Singapore, excelling academically is really quite important. And you know the question is why is that so? Yeah. Why why are grades look so highly upon in Singapore? I think it's because in Singapore, we always have that mentality of wanting to be better than other people. Mm. So that's one thing. You always want to be better than other people. You always want to get higher grades than other people. But another thing is that, I think not just our parents, but also the schools and the teachers always put this idea that if you don't get good grades, you can't excel in life you can't get success in your future. You won't be able to get the jobs that you want to do or the high-paying kind of jobs, Mm. which is so ridiculous because our grades don't define who we are on the Mm. inside. It's not a definition of our character. It just just places a lot of unnecessary stress on the people who just don't do well in Mm. those kind of written exam formats Mm. where they might do better in other kind of maybe like performing arts or sports and other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having good grades is the most prestigious marker of success in Singapore, right? Whatever success is supposed to mean in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with you that it's it's very important to do good, as in to have good grades here. And, and, and this emphasis is manifested in hiring practices where university graduates are more likely to be employed or have higher starting salary than someone who doesn't. And... And I, I, I get I get why um university graduates are more likely to be employed. But you know, sometimes I just feel like there's nothing more here in terms of we don't celebrate other qualities enough, like like you have said. Yeah, and grace mm-hmm. just should not be the sole marker of success. And yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And it gets even more ridiculous because in Singapore at um, primary three, which is the age of nine, mm. there is a program called the Gifted Education Program mm. or short form GEP mm. in Singapore where children at nine years old are so-called selected to go through a few rounds of tests. So the first one would be like a pattern kind of recognition test and other tests that they do before they can choose to go to other primary schools which are considered branded or better primary schools. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this program is even called Gifted to me is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. At a young age of like eight or nine years old, that children are taught that, oh, I'm gifted, while mm-hmm. people that are not in this program are not considered gifted. Oh! Like, yeah, like, controversial. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, like, this kind of... In, like, 
I think from a young age, when the when you inculcate kind this kind of idea into children's heads, mm. it's even worse because they grow up thinking this way. Uh, sometimes I'm not saying all of the time, but some children do grow up with this mentality in their head that I am better than other people because my grades are better mm. because I got into this gifted mm. education program. Mm. So I just find it so unnecessary that we sort kids out from such a young age based on this mm-hmm. program and we call and we call it gifted too it's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know for this GEP right do you so for children who pass the several tests do they get immediately transferred to a different school or if I'm not wrong they get to choose which schools they want to go to so it depends on the schools whether they offer this gifted education program mm-hmm. and, and it, yeah so this, these schools that offer the gifted education program are more often than not the schools that are considered better or the top primary schools in Singapore. Mm, I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm kind of lucky that I did, I wasn't even aware of this gifted education program until I was in junior college. <laughs> yeah, because I hear from my... No, because um, you know, in my primary school, it it's a neighbourhood school. In my secondary school, it is also a neighbourhood school, but a good one. Yeah. And then mm. I moved on to junior college where where I was really able to meet a lot of people from, from I guess, from different parts of Singapore. And then that's where I was exposed to this gifted education program. And when I first heard it, I was like, wait, there was such a thing? And and I was wondering, how come my school didn't offer that? <laughs> how come my school didn't have that? So, you know, like for this gifted education program, schools are, are already pre-selected. Um, schools that have traditionally produced students who score well have been selected to take part in this gifted education program, which triggers a lot of reflex, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. like even the Ministry of Education website says that it aims to identify pupils with high intellectual potential. I love it. <laughs> like, come on, how are you supposed to test that at the age of eight or nine? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, and mm-hmm. I think just places so much unnecessary stress, especially on the children of today, mm-hmm. where they still have to go through this. And perhaps even worse, because our, our world is growing so fast and developing so fast, mm-hmm. and things are changing all the time. Mm-hmm. And they have to keep up with all these kind of programs that decide whether they are so-called gifted or not. It's just, uh, <laughs> and maybe that's the reason why tuition is so popular here mm-hmm. in Singapore. Jasmine, yeah. did you used to have tuition when you were in, and how did you feel about going to tuition or tuition in general? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely did go to tuition, um, especially when I was in primary school. I was having tuition for all of my subjects because, well, actually for quite a good reason, actually, because, you know, my parents, I, I said that my parents sent me over to Singapore to receive an English education, right? But the thing is, I didn't grow up in an English-speaking family. So when I moved over to, I mean, as in when I, I got sent over to Singapore, education here is delivered by the English language, right? So they were worried that I wasn't able to catch up with the rest of the students, which is why they had tuition classes for me. Um, But then, you know, this is my case. My case is kind of, it's, it's, it's for a justifiable reason. But then a lot of students here would seek help from tuition um, even when they don't actually need it, you know? Um, yeah, what do you think about this, Karen? Yeah, um, for me, I had primary, I have tuition in primary school, secondary school, and also junior college. Mm. So it's been a long 
it's been a long run for me with tuition. <laughs> so many things to say about tuition. <laughs> um, I'm ready to take it all in. Yeah, so the tuition industry in Singapore is a very, very large and very booming and growing industry. And based on the household expenditure survey conducted by the Department of Statistics in Singapore from October 2017 to September 2018, Singapore households spent $1.4 billion on tuition. And that's a crazy amount of money to be spending, especially on tuition. So I think a lot of parents have this idea that uh, they see other parents enrolling their children for tuition and they think, oh, I, I should do the same too so my kids won't lose out. Is is the kind of uh in in Singapore terms we call it gassy. So it's like you're afraid to die. <laughs> so it's that kind of attitude that makes a lot of parents very worried about their children. So they will send their children to tuition classes mm. so that they can do better than other people, mm. or at least not be worse off than others. Mm. And mm. I think this really places a lot of stress and pressure on children, especially because not only do they have to go to school in the day. But afterwards, they still have to go to tuition classes. Mm. And it just builds on the kind of pressure that they face. But I also think that tuition centers are a kind of symbol of the kind of uh, income that you earn as well. Mm. And the social economic position that you are in. Because mm. a lot of the time, the so-called higher grade tuition centers or the best tuition centers are very pricey. So they're often for those from higher income groups or those that are able to afford it. And it gives those children who go to those centers an advantage in academics as compared to other students who don't have this financial ability to go for tuition centers or can only afford tutors at the lower end of the spectrum that may possibly impede or even hinder the kind of their progress in studying. Yeah, so I, I definitely think it contributes to a larger social economic problem mm-hmm. that we have in Singapore mm-hmm. where the get richer because they get higher paying jobs from from getting better so-called better grades mm-hmm. and the poor get poorer because they lack all these kind of opportunities for them to move up the social ladder mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah definitely tuition is a luxury um especially when tuition can can be really expensive not every parent can afford tuition for their child and we can just see how children from less affluent backgrounds will we'll lose out in this system, right? Because of the mm-hmm. clear disparity in, in resources between children from more and less well-off backgrounds. Um, yeah, you know, if your parents can't afford it, then you don't have the extra learning resources that other children might get. And, you know, if, if we look at this from the lens of this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, people are getting retrenched and learning is shifting online. But... Um, you know, for children from less affluent backgrounds, they may not even have a laptop to assess online learning with. Or, you know, their parents might not be able to um, pay for internet bills if they are struggling to even put food on the table. Yeah, you know, children who are more privileged just move further in this race and children who are not, they just have, they just, they just struggle, basically. And, but, you know, thankfully here in Singapore, um, there is this awareness um, of this particular issue, which is why there is a push for every secondary school student to receive their own personal laptop by, I think, 2021. And there are also ground-up movements supporting children from less privileged backgrounds. You know, and, um, you know, by the same logic between, say, elite and neighbourhood schools or branded and non-branded schools, children from different schools benefit from 
different levels of learning resources. And yeah. I for me tuition comes very close to heart especially mm. and I and this is because um I ben I did I do think that I benefited from going to tuition mm. at a young age mm. in primary school and that's how my results did get better so I for me I definitely appreciate that I had the opportunity to go for tuition classes mm, definitely. but it does make yeah, but it does make me think about the other children who don't get this opportunity to go to classes like this, mm. or or currently now where they are unable to go online to, um, have these or or have even school classes. For me, I currently work at a tuition center, mm. which is the same tuition center that I went to when I was in primary school. Very so for nice. me, it was a it was kind of giving back as well for the help that I received. But going there, I met a lot of different children from different backgrounds and different families mm. and I can see their struggle with mm. learning and experiencing the examinations especially for PSLE where it's so ingrained in their heads that this is a one-time thing in your life mm. and you have to do it well mm. you know? so I, I really see the kind of stress that they face even when they're going for tuition classes it just makes me feel that the education system needs to focus less on the grades themselves and more of what the students can do mm. for, in terms of their potential in other areas other than just grades and academics. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that kind of emphasis on grades comes from employees in our country also because the what, what grades that you get in your exams isn't, it represents the kind of knowledge that you have in the subject content itself mm. but I think to employees it also represents how so-called hardworking you are mm. or conscientious you are in your work mm. and therefore that translates to good grades but mm-hmm. I just think that there are definitely other ways to measure this kind of um, potential for students yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I definitely agree with that you know it's just a shame that you know education is supposed to be to enable you to move up the social ladder like you have said but on the ground, it's just a tool that polarizes chances of attaining success in open and closing air quotes um, by, between children from different backgrounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of education and grades, there have been education reforms being pushed out over the years to de-emphasize grades and even move towards more holistic education, right? You know? Yeah. Have you, have you noticed that? Yeah, definitely. They've just announced quite recently that they'll be changing the primary school leaving examinations mm. that our students in Singapore take at 12 years old. So I think that's very similar to the um, exams in other countries as well, mm. where you leave the system and then, uh, for example, like the SATs or the, 11, or the exams that you take at 11 plus, for example. So I think the kind of reforms that they're making uh, focuses more on the achievements of the students themselves. So what they do is that um, rather than the score that they get at the end, which is usually um, based on what other students do, so it's very similar to the bell curve kind of concept. Mm. Right now, they're concentrating more on achievement levels. Mm. So achievement level 1 is the best score, while achievement level 8 is the lowest score. So there's only 8 bands for each subject. And that will reflect the student's level of achievement in the subject itself. So prior to this reform, there were about 200 different kind of scores you could get as a PSLE student 
or primary six student. Whereas now there will only be 29 possible scores. So this is supposed to reduce the differentiation of students at a young age. Mm, yeah, I get that because in the old, in in the old system, it was it was out of three hundred points if I'm if I remember correctly, and out of three hundred points versus out of thirty two, right? When you compare three hundred with thirty two, you know in the old system, you could you could be getting a hundred and eighty, and then versus someone who scores really well at two hundred and seventy. You know that's that's a really huge difference. Whereas in the in in the new system, the range is much smaller from four to thirty two. So I definitely get where where the de-emphasis on grades would be. Um, but then the the problem is it's 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 just a change in how you measure grades. There's not really a change in the value that people place on grades. Mm-hmm. But then another example of holistic education that I want to tie in together with this achievement level bending is the subject level bending in secondary school. In the old system that I went through, your your primary school leaving examination score will determine the stream that you are in in your secondary school. So there are three streams, which is express stream, which is the most rigorous one, and the one that you take your O-levels by the end of four years. And down the list is normal academics and normal technical stream. An issue in the old system is that students from the normal academics and normal technical streams cannot take a certain subject at a more rigorous level, even if they are particularly interested um, and show to be strong in, um, unless you convert your whole um, learning track to a higher level one. And with this new system, there is more flexibility. You know, upon entering secondary school, students can take um, subjects at different levels of difficulty according to how they scored in their primary school learning, sorry, primary school leaving examination. And um, this, so for example, if you scored really well in math, but you scored poorly in your science, you can take math at a more rigorous level in secondary school and your science at a less rigorous level. You know, this, this new system is just a lot more accommodating of the different abilities that children have and which which I think is actually very important for students' self-esteem, actually. You know, because imagine being kept at this certain level, um, even even though you actually have, have the aptitude to perform even better. Mm, mm. I definitely think these reforms do help to allow students to feel less pressured mm. and feel less as though they are compared to other people in mm. their same year group. Mm. But I think that other than changing the system of the of how they grade their examinations, I think a lot more can be done in terms of the how they support students in managing stress mm. and managing their emotional well-being too. Mm. I think this is an area that's often very much underlooked, especially in mm. Asian countries where we are taught to keep our mental issues to ourselves mm-hmm. and to not say it out. Because it's a very taboo kind of topic to talk mm, about, mm. which I don't think should be the case. Because everyone has stress, and everyone has a different level of tolerance towards stress. So I think that our government should definitely be focusing a lot on teaching students how to manage their stress and opening up the conversation on uh, mental health in Singapore and mm-hmm. especially among the youth. Mm-hmm. You know, I I mentioned that I 
that I had a very stressful period in secondary two, right? I keep on talking about this, but you know, mm-hmm. basically in yeah. in sec two, I was very stressed, but it never came to me that I should seek the school counselor on this, or even or even to tell my teachers about 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 the stress and anxiety that I was experiencing. I kind of just bottled it up inside. And it bottled up to the point that I eventually just broke down in front of my mom and my sister. Yeah, so I definitely agree with you on saying that there should be there should be more support in terms of providing, um, you know, guidance on basically how to relieve stress. But then at the end of the day, you know, th- this is only a mitigating solution. It's we we are not really talking about the real problem here, which is this whole competitive culture and this emphasis on grades that has really evolved into an obsession almost. Mm, mm-hmm. Definitely agree. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of things in like students' lives affects what like how well they do in school in their examinations. So the stress that they have may not necessarily be just academically, but it might be from other things mm. like maybe problems in school with their classmates or problems at home mm. or even their own self-confidence and self-esteem so uh, and the, all these things have the potential to be affecting the way that they do in examinations or mm. even in regular school like homework and their schooling experience as a whole mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I definitely think a lot more help can be targeted towards um, helping these students understand that it's okay to talk about these topics because mm. a lot of the time I feel like students don't necessarily tell their teachers because they're afraid that their teachers will tell their parents mm. or they're afraid oh, that okay, I see, I see. yeah or they're afraid that the teachers might turn away certain opportunities from them because uh. they care about these experiences yeah so I definitely think that more help can be given mm. but there are different organizations in Singapore that provide help to, student, to, to people who suffer from um, mental health issues or stress and that can definitely help. For example, there is an organization called Samaritans of Singapore or SOS that people can contact if they are feeling uh, any kind of emotional duress or they feel stressed out or just want to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And there is also another uh, program called the Touch Youth Intervention or TYI which helps uh, youth in terms of achieving their own emotional well-being. So these are the organizations that can help you if you're in Singapore and if you're facing any kind of stress and you want someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can I just touch on like one last point on this course, emphasis yeah. on grades? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and I just recalled that there is this part of, of the O-levels um, that is called the LEAPS system. So it's spelled... L-E-A-P-S, which is basically a system that measures um, your the kind of activities and achievements that you have achieved outside of academics. So here we look at the kind of leadership positions, what clubs and societies you have participated in, and the competitions that you have represented um, the school for, etc. And this LEAP system is supposed to provide holistic education for, for students and even recreation them right which is supposed to be a stress um a repose outside of, of academics and you know basically a stress reliever um but you know the loophole is that an impressive co-curricular activities track record gives you academic advantage 
So you get up to two bonus deduction points for your O levels, um, which is crucial for a lot of students actually because. I wouldn't have been able to get into my junior college if I didn't have these two deduction points. And you know, sometimes I'm just thinking that co-curricular activities are supposed to be where you can um, take a break from your academics, where you can explore your interests, but a tangible academic bonuses tied to it um, makes it very blur between whether 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 you are really doing a certain thing for your academic advantage or really or whether you really just want to you know um develop other areas of your character or you know to be out of your comfort zone yeah it's it's, it's just very blur and this whole leap system might even just become another thing that people was another thing that students will stress about um I know that I have definitely stressed about that at a certain point during my secondary school, yes. There has been a lot of education reforms, but definitely a lot more can still be done. And the, the thing to tackle here is really a true de-emphasis on grades. Um, we, we should really start celebrating more of your other qualities and really just not define life so narrowly by by your grades. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think... What the government in Singapore has been pushing towards is a lot of holistic education. Mm. But in pushing holistic education, it also drives people to want to excel in other areas as well. Mm. So as you said, um, how your co-curricular activities or CCAs mm. do matter um, when you are going to a junior college. And it, it happened for my secondary school as well, where mm. it, your CCAs do matter in terms of what CCA grade you get at the end of your year. So I think that that kind of push towards holistic education is supposed to um, make it more relaxing for the students where they have something to turn to that's non-academic. Mm. But I think because of that kind of competitive nature in Singapore, people want to do better at everything. Mm. And that includes co-curricular activities too mm-hmm. and the fact is people also look to your co-curricular activities to determine how so-called good of a student you are as well so if you have things like leadership or you get trophies or you get awards mm. like people look more highly on you because of that which is so tragic to think <laughs> about mm-hmm. because if you aren't good at grades but you're great at your ccas it doesn't necessarily guarantee you a so-called like good career or uh, in terms of like what employees look at. Mm. But if you get good grades but not necessarily good co-curricular activities, when you get think when you want to apply for things like scholarships, mm. people the people start wondering, oh then what about your leadership skills? Mm. What about your teamwork skills? Because they can't see that from your grades. Mm. All in all, it like both of them matter mm. a lot. Mm. And it just gives so much stress to students to want to excel to in both of those areas. Yeah, that is very true. I find it so hard to be a student these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean like um you know from from our discussion, it seems like there are really a lot of flaws in this system. And true enough there is, but you know, it, it doesn't mean that we didn't enjoy our education right you know yeah yeah i mean i i I definitely enjoyed my secondary school and Mm -hmm. i enjoyed mine as well yeah Yeah. definitely Mm -hmm. it definitely gave me a lot of opportunities to find myself in terms of developing my personality developing my 
um social skills. Not how not sure how well that's going, but <laughs> it definitely gave me a chance to develop myself a lot more. Mm. So I'm I'm grateful that I even have an education in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people in other countries do not get the chance to have an education. Mm-hmm. But while but I still think that it's important to talk about improving the education system that we have. Definitely. So that we make sure that students are able to manage the stress that they have mm-hmm. and also learn to accept failure mm-hmm. as a way of building themselves up and increasing their own self-confidence mm-hmm. rather than getting demoralized and demotivated every time they meet a failure. Mm-hmm. I think our uh, our entire conversation has definitely kind of summed up our schooling cultures and experiences that we faced for the both of us. But this is definitely only in a Singapore context that we've talked about. We'd definitely love to hear a lot more about um, what our listeners have in terms of their own schooling cultures and experiences. So do keep a lookout for our Facebook posts on other podcast episodes that we'll be coming out with uh, on a regular basis. So that's it for our episode for today. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you all listeners for tuning in to this episode of Narratives of Asia. Dear listener, if you found this episode to be educational and learned something from this, do recommend this podcast to your friends and family by word of mouth or on social media. Tag us at UCL Asiatic Affairs on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear all of your thoughts on this episode. If you are interested in joining us on raising conversation about a certain topic related to Asia, don't be shy. Drop a message on our social media or email us at uclasiaticaffairs at gmail.com. I swear we're a cool bunch. Again, thank you so much for staying with us and stay tuned for another episode. We are Asiatic Affairs and this is Narratives of Asia.